How are you Hi. doing, Andy? Oh, good, mate. How are you? Excellent, thank you. So thanks for doing this. Um, today we're going to talk about Andy's experiences um, at the beginning of our deployment on Herrick 14. Um, the incident which saw him being returned back to the UK and talking about life afterwards and recollections on Herrick 14 and our contribution towards it. So Andy, would you like to sort of introduce yourself, name, rank, company? Yeah, no, cheers, Dan. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, um, my name is um, Andy Sell. Um, I was in A Company um, and One Rifles. Um, yeah, I sort of met Dan when um, he got attached to us to our multiple, um, when uh, everything got uh, amalgamated together, and um, yeah. So uh, just to give a bit of background, I'm sure this will be covered on other, other interviews, but... Um, I was a fire support group. Um, we had trained together as a platoon. We were separate. We were part of support company, uh, heavy weapons, grenade machine guns, 50 cals, GPMGs, and javelin. Um, but sort of last minute, our task uh, got changed. And we ended up being separated as a platoon. And as the sort of support weapons experts, we then went to the rifle companies A, B, and C uh, to assist them in operating specialist weapons um, for their tour. Um, and my platoon commander, Kev Fortuna, um, was, became Andy's multiple commander, uh, along with the rest of Cobra 14 Alpha. Um, and we did all our sort of beat up training to sort of together to pretty quickly, uh, trying to get used to working with each other. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, the sort of, I wouldn't say difficulties, but, you know, that, that has its own challenges. But, you know, 10 years on, we're still chatting. Um, so, Andy, would you like to go into the beginning of your military career and sort of what led up to to you really uh, becoming a sort of key member of, of the multiple? Sounds good, man. Yeah. Um, so I joined uh, 2008. Um, I joined as um, a junior soldier. I was 16 at the time. Uh, I went to uh, Winchester. Um, I think I'd done 23 weeks there of training, basic training. Wow, I didn't realise it was that long. Yeah, well, Catrick's like 48. Not Catrick, um, Harrogate. Right. So they've got um, like the Harrogate entry, what's um, it's a year. Um, or they've got like the the shorter basic training. Um, it was Basingstoke and then it changed to Winchester and I can tell you what it is now, but so yeah, I'd done, I'd done the Winchester course, luckily. And, um, yeah, I'd done the 24 weeks there. And then Excellent. after that, uh, done Catrick, uh, where you're doing like your phase two, you're like, um, basically like your trade training. Um, I was, my trade was an infantier. So that's where you learn basically how to, um, <laughs> become a fighting soldier basically in a nutshell <laughs> excellent excellent yeah. um so you came to the battalion uh, to a company shortly after our peric 9 deployment um where the battalion was mainly omlt which is operational monitoring liaison team which is uh, small teams of brits working with uh company level uh, afghan national army um 
so you really sort of came when all that stuff was very fresh um can't be easy uh, i remember i got to edinburgh to to li after i finished training when they just come back from northern ireland after doing a site of martel so um i can relate to what it's you know kind of what it's like when you either new face coming to a company that's just uh, just come back from from overseas um yeah that was tough <laughs> <laughs> so were you sort of because you know herrick nine rmlt teams in particular uh that was extremely demanding uh, it was extremely what the military like to call kinetic which is a euphemism for lots of and lots of firefights um how did that sort of affect you as a as a young rifleman do you think jesus what am i what have i let myself in for or yeah, I think I think I got to Italian. I think I was still seventeen, and my first day there was the first day back from everyone having leave, and so I was like this fucking little sprog who just rocked up, like I was basically a, I was basically a child, right? And all these blokes, <laughs> there's all these blokes who just come back from like Afghan after doing Herrick Nine, and they're just like me and a couple of others, like, uh, hey, you all right? You know? <laughs> so yeah, it was really hard to. Um, to find a place right at the start to be fair like to try and fit in speak to uh, all the senior blokes and stuff like that it's yeah it's, it was hard um can't be easy yeah i mean you, you get your friends early on at the end of the day you find sort of what group you to fit in um, absolutely yeah yeah so it, it was just finding the group of people who same similar interest me you know who are thought of sound stuff like that and just sort of start with them um but mm. yeah so we we did our beat up training together um yep lots of faux green zone contacts lots of meeting elders in on training areas uh these were usually afghan nationals uh who had uh emigrated to the uk um and were hired effectively by the mod to act as um act the role of the people that we would be encountering in theater um did that surprise to go from basic training where it's all you're effectively training to support the NATO mission against Russia um, to go from that to effectively acting as like a heavily armed police force? Um, did that sort of surprise you? Did that take, you know, how did you, how did you find that transition? So on like the last couple of weeks of a uh, Catrick, you do, you do your final X and you do like your live firing training and that's what you sort of think like okay this is sort of my job now this i'm going to be going to afghan i'm going to be firefights all the time you know that that is literally going to be my job and you, then you rock up to battalion um and it's completely different you, to what you think it could be like in your head you know right. like the training you go on to you do um you, do, you meet you like you said you go meet elders you it, it's more of like a peace mission than preparing for a firefight every time you go out. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's nothing what you think it'll be like. You think you're training as if you're going to be, right, you're going to practice taking positions, you're going to be practicing doing this all the time. It's not. It's how you and the rest of you multiple are going to react on the ground to seeing just farmers doing the field or stuff like that, you know. It's about building the trust, whatever, with the locals mm -hmm. so yeah it's completely different yeah yeah no i'd, I'd agree um 
there was a significant change from uh, the beat up training for nine in comparison to 14. Um, you know, the emphasis on guys being able to call in airstrikes was kind of shifted to how to approach someone and ask them in a roundabout way of asking what their views on the government of Afghanistan is like, what can we do to improve their life in, in, you know, in the short term? And then what can we do in the long term with, you know, as part of a wider strategy of really putting the local population at the center of, of our effort. Um, and, and it's, you know, trying to effectively keep at arm's distance the enemy um, and effectively trying to separate the fighting from the civil population and the civil projects, um, civil projects like building roads uh, that would, that were reliable and couldn't, or were difficult to place IEDs on. So, you know, people could get to and from places like Lashkar to Goresh in relative uh, safety. And from that on the wider scale to the much more sort of uh, micro scale of um, getting people fresh water, uh, hiring local contractors to uh, assist the economy to, you know, improve, give people the opportunity to earn good money um, and, and really sort of trying to, you know, acknowledge, yeah, there is an enemy force out there. You will meet them, but that's not your primary job. Your primary job is to assist um, and, and make their lives better in a way that really the, didn't seem to have been a priority at any other point on Herrick. Um, so although we were with A Company One Rifles, we were under their rubric, uh, we deployed to Camp Bastion after our uh, after all that training was complete and we'd said our goodbyes. Uh, and then once we were at Camp Bastion, our multiple was told that we would be going to 4-2 Commando Kilo Company, uh, a, a checkpoint called Sarhad. And we would be working out of the next patrol base, which was the sort of mothership to all the CPs um, that were along Route Trident, which was the, the road that I previously mentioned. And what if you'd like to just take us through what your uh, your experience in Camp Bastion was like, uh, the sort of intense training that was done there, which was coming directly, was, was dictated to really about what was going on on the ground yeah. that day, you know, um, you know, with the intention of making us as sort of current in our approach as possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Everything that's necessary, nothing that's not, and what works and what doesn't. So, yeah. um so we, yeah, just take us through from, you know, landing on, on the plane, uh, sorry, landing in Bastion and beginning that sort of package and sort of your, your reflections and thoughts on that. Yeah, cool. Um, I think the first thing you know you're in Afghan is when you're actually on the plane and your plane don't just come into a nice, you know, stable landing. The, the plane does go down fast in case of, you know, any enemy fire or anything like that, you know, it's literally... <laughs> get you on the ground quick and then you know you, you then essentially you're on the ground yeah um, yeah and yeah i think that's when it's sort of like it hits you like yeah shit i'm in afghan now it's um yeah. this is real yeah definitely <laughs> yeah so yeah um i, I kind of got split up from um my multiple and the company um 
when I'm, I got to Count Bastion, um, they do like um, quad biking courses or like just little mini courses, what you might need for when you're out on the ground. And That's right, yeah. so, yeah, so I got dumped on the um, quad biking course. Um, what was, um, it was actually pretty good, to be fair. They got some like jumps set up in that in um, Camp Bastion. It was actually pretty fun. I was going to say, it did look fun. I, I remember watching people on it. And uh, yeah. actually, that looks <laughs> very few courses in the army seem to be fun. And that was one of them. Yeah. I actually um, came off the quad bike. <laughs> did you? Uh, yeah. So um, it's like, <laughs> like a hill going up, mate. And then it sort of like drops down for the jump. Right. I was on, I was on my way up the hill to the top. And um, I don't know why I sort of like came off the path a little bit. And the fucking, the quad bike just rolled down the hill. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know really what happened. I just rolled down with a quad bike going over me. Um, so yeah, that was like, <laughs> yeah, that that's a good start. Good start to the tour. Perfect start to the tour. Yeah, definitely going to go well from there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, after, I mean, we weren't there that long, were we? It was, it was five days, rapid. seven days. Yeah. You get sort of your ticks in the boxes. Uh, you do your sort of mandatory briefs, which if I remember correctly, we We'd been in transit for about 24 hours and then we were taken straight into a hot tent to listen oh, to the US rough. Marines um, discuss about the, the ins and outs of counterinsurgency. Um, I mean, an impression that I certainly got, certainly from the last tour, was uh, Start Camp Bastion was much smaller when I left and then it was much, much larger after the CBs and the US Marines had built it up. Yeah. I felt, and I think on reflection, it would be an accurate assessment to say that we were actually being mentored by. US Marines. Agreed. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah, the British Army was not in charge as much as it used to be. Um, which I personally I don't know about you, I think was something that was very much needed. Um, yeah, we we have a different way of um running things at the end of the day. Like it, it, you should have been kept to yourself sort of thing. Like they've got their part of the barracks, what they do, they have like uh is it Leverett or whatever it was, they have like their own part of the Camp Bastion. Sure about it. Oh, that's it. Yeah. We well, sorry. We had. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. Sorry. I, I, I. Yeah. You are. You are right. There was. It, it's unusual, isn't it? I mean, Camp Bastion. It was wasn't exactly a small camp when I left, and I went to Yeah. Um. It, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Uh, what it actually takes to administrate twelve-man teams in the arse end of nowhere in the green zone. Yeah. And, yeah all the sort of logistical um, requirements that are needed for that. So, I mean, I remember correctly, I remember helping you guys on the heavy machine gun um, on the Rangers as part of part of my task as a support weapons operator um, was to sort of assist you guys in getting as much experience as possible firing live rounds uh, at yeah. the range. Yeah, see, I didn't do that with you. I um, So I was with um, another lad who... Um, from different uh, multiple. So we were attached to, oh, I can't remember who they were. Uh, Dragoon Guards, I think. Okay, yeah, Dragoon yeah, yeah. Guards. So we done basically all our stuff with them. So we done the right. briefs with you lot. Then after the brief, we uh, went on the quad bike, then we came back and done our thing with um, the Dragoon Guards. So yeah, we got we got a bit of hands-on on the um, uh, HMG, GMG and that. Um, yeah all good stuff yeah good it's, fun. it's a lot more fun when they don't shoot back <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so yeah it, it was pretty 
it was a very quick transition, wasn't it, to from you know getting off the runway straight into briefs to get that tick in the box, and then yeah. straight onto the ranges to get that tick in the box, and then you know you do your ID lanes. Sorry, uh, so an ID lane is a mock up of a, a path which has dummy uh, improvised explosive devices um, based on the designs that are used by by the enemy forces um, to give guys the opportunity to to try and mitigate that threat using the most current uh, examples that were that were being found um, so you know you have that that kind of thing as well it wasn't all um, you know it's not all sort of shooting and marching around in the heat um, and of course then you have a lot of legal training uh, I remember that as well yeah card uh, alpha and that and then... yeah I mean we really that I think it I think it needs to be said that all of this the legal side of things was as covered as the actual shooting aspect um everybody 100%, yeah yeah it's um, as important it's as important maybe more important as the shooting absolutely yeah. it, you have to know it if yeah. if you go in go shooting guns blazing you know it's <laughs> you just can't do it <laughs> and it's i think it, it become apparent uh, finally become apparent that that approach was counterproductive um yeah. particularly given afghan culture the honor culture you know if you kill someone's brother you've recruited them you've recruited their cousins you've recruited their sons so restraint um was a key factor wasn't it i thought that was that was certainly something that was that was hit home um a good thing to know is that you you meet a lot of people when you're out on the ground and a lot of them hate the taliban yeah you know what i mean they they will they will help you mm-hmm. if you make them their friends they'll help you yeah it's, it's sort of a two-way thing you help them they help you it's it's yeah it's not what you think it would be like at all no no um so we found out that we would be going we weren't going to be with a company when we were going to be farmed out to 4-2 commando uh while we were there um we had a, an intelligence brief uh <laughs> allegedly um about pp5s uh, sorry pb4s area of operations which was the area that we were originally going to go to um but there wasn't any current information apparently that they could pass on to us about the area next door to it, which we would be going to. Um, we were left in the dark quite a lot about where we were going and what was absolutely. actually happening with us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to note as well that um, our multiple commander Kev had already deployed by this point and he was already at uh, the checkpoint with the Royal Marines um, ahead of us. Um, so he was on a sort of fact finding mission, um, getting the lay of the land and, sort of liaison effectively between um two quite different units uh i'd i'd say um, we've run completely different to they do <laughs> yeah yeah uh i mean uh, yeah i mean should we discuss about how you know because it was very quick we were deployed to the patrol base the rest of the multiple quite early on um we got there uh that night Sorry, we met the sort of, we were welcomed by uh, the, the Black Knights, as they were known. Um, we met their OC. He gave us a quick rundown of the area, what their sort of long-term aims were. Um, 
the situation around Sarhad, which was still a relatively new checkpoint, wasn't it? Because we, we ended up having to build. I mean, it's one of my sort of enduring uh, memories is having to, you know, laying out uh, barbed wire, razor wire, laying claymores, filling sandbags, lots and lots of sandbags. I, I came out, um, I think it was like two, three days late compared to yeah. when I the CP. And when I got there, it was all built. It was all lovely. I was pretty happy, you know? <laughs> you see like pits of sandbag where sandbags are being done. I was like, Oh, that would have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always fun. Got, yeah. got a lot of fun in sandbags. Uh, so, under sort of Kev's tutelage, um, we really, really tried to get into very early on. We hit the ground running in the sense of trying to get our profile out to the local population and trying to include them as much as possible in what we were going to do and what we. Uh, sort of the improvements and changes that we wanted to do, what their priorities were and how we could facilitate um, sort of assisting, basically filling the gap uh, between them and the Taliban um, in terms of what, what could be provided. Um, I think it's important to note as well, um, we didn't have any Afghan uh, contemporaries with us. We didn't have any Afghan national police or army. Uh, we were operating as UK forces independently effectively uh sharing the checkpoint with a multiple of uh raw marines um i mean that that in itself um it, i i it, it's quite difficult to explain to people how tribal the uk military is um there's a clear divide between in the like in the cp and that like we kept to ourselves they sort of kept to themselves it was we worked together but we kept to ourselves if well, that makes sense. The, the enduring thing in my mind from from that was um, was the slang. The <laughs> yeah. have their own extensive and impenetrable um, slang for the for everything. And I remember very early on, um, like being like, "Mate, can you just can you just say in English what you mean?" Um, and then it was only when we were we started doing guard duties because uh, we were sharing guard duties with them. And one of the sangas was above their accommodation. So we used to hear them on a night sort of talking amongst themselves. And the, for me, the penny dropped when I realized actually they had been toning it down because when, when you heard them talking amongst themselves, <laughs> just like a collection of words and noises that didn't make any sense as far as I could tell, that seemed to explain a hell of a lot for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, sorry that, that, you know, this is not, uh, uh, this is not to run them down. Uh, the guys who were with, uh, were fantastic and they're they, good soldiers you oh absolutely God, yeah. they are an elite fighting force that's no there's yeah. no two way about it you know they are an elite for a reason um and yeah sorry that i mean the last thing on earth i'd, I'd hate for people to think that this is uh, uh, an excuse to rip on <laughs> rip on individual yeah. marines or you know the guys that we were with um so one of the main uh, aims of what we were doing was to improve surveillance in the area, um, to fill that gap in terms of security rather than with firepower was with surveillance and accurate, um, accurate intelligence, accurate information, which we could then collate, assess, and then act on at a later date. Um, and part of that was doing what Kev liked to call unconventional patrols, um, which included getting up at three o'clock in the morning, 
taking the ladders, climbing over the wall of the CP behind a tree. So we weren't seen uh, with the intention of not being seen. Uh, then going out and setting up ambushes along roads that we knew that the enemy forces would be using to place the improvised explosive devices, the IEDs. Um, uh, I remember getting compromised by dogs who would <laughs> bubble us and give You're about the bears or <laughs> oh God, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's talk about Afghan dogs. They're not small, are they? They're they are. They're bred to fight bears. They're the yeah. type of, yeah, they're specifically designed to fight bears. They're, which is they're horrible. Best ways to put it, yeah. Yeah. They, um, I mean, they're like small horses, aren't they? They're ridiculous. They're, yeah. They are, yeah. Yeah. Um, so part of that was we, we did a lot of night work, didn't we? That was a large, that was a key motto, I think, for the battle group was we own the night. Um, and it was a way of taking that advantage away from the enemy um, and trying to keep the pressure on them um, effectively to make them think that every time they went out to do something that there was a patrol hiding in a bush, um, which we, we did extensively, I'd say. Yes, <laughs> say? yeah. Um, so... So very early on, we we had sort of established ourselves. We'd introduced the locals. I remember we invited, uh, we had a specific area of the checkpoint that we sort of singled out as a place for meetings that where meetings could be held. People would come in and be quickly searched for any sort yeah. of suicide devices. And then we could sit down with them, the interpreter, and then we could just go through what they expected from us, what we could do for them, uh, sort of short term and long term. And sort of go from there, really. Um, but that also included um, if, you know, taking the fight to the enemy, as, as the uh, as the infantry like to call it. And um, we had a, an incident quite early on where we encountered what's called a dicker. Um, and it, this is a contentious subject, isn't it? Um, because under the rules of engagement, Someone, a dicker is someone is a scout effectively with a radio or a phone and they're passing information to uh, to the enemy forces with the intention of uh, setting up some sort of ambush. Um, however, you get different types, don't you? Um, you get ones who are just t saying, yeah, they've left, uh, they're heading in this direction. And then you get the guys that this was listening to as well on radio scanners, on the ICOM scanners with the interpreter will say yeah they've left uh, Ahmed you take your guys to set up a party at this place and um, go within you get the big thing ready for them when they go past there and we'll try and cut them. and we'd actually gone through that process and um, we'd been given the authority to to shoot um, and, and kill a guy that was setting up an ambush for us um, shortly after we left left the camp uh, do you remember much of that yeah yeah so um I don't think we were quite close to CP. We must have been only, what, about 500 metres out? If that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we were just patrolling, and then um, I remember the Hulk getting called, and um, just see um, Kev and the um, the interpreter uh, speaking, like, like, they're saying this on the radio, like, they're trying to organise the attack for, for you lot. And... Um, so um yeah they're trying to um 
well, they're trying to get us to get eyes on the uh, dicker, like uh, having us into it. And yeah, it'll basically trying to get that, get us to um, get the shot on and get him killed. So, um, but you're basically to protect us at the end of the day. Well, it also had the knock-on effect of, um, because of the surveillance assets, once that guy went down, um, he was picked up by his friends, if I'm not mistaken. He dragged away, didn't he? Um, yeah. He got put on the back of a motorbike. That was then taken north. All of this was observed through the uh, surveillance balloons and yes. other assets. We not long had that put up, did we, that balloon? That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, and straight away, so you could see which compounds he was going to, who had taken an interest. And so straight away from that single incident, by mitigating that, we were able to build up intelligence picture of the enemy forces in our immediate area, which we were still very much none the wiser to, given uh, the short period of time that we'd been in that area. Uh, so, yeah, that that's quite a... Again, it gives an idea of this sort of contrast on how quickly things can change. You go from a, there's no such thing as a routine patrol, but to go from speaking with locals, finding out, you know, where they want their new new well, um, which road they would like and where they'd like that road to go through to yeah. dealing with enemy forces. Um, it was sort of our first thing of when, like, yeah, this shit is real now. It is... Um... Yeah, you are in Afghan, you are potentially, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're yeah. in the fighting zone. It's... Yeah, yeah. Um, how, given the structure of, of the Taliban, how do, it's quite a hard thing to get your head around that there's, you have you, and it's yeah. hard to, you don't really realise till you're there that there's someone else just like you on the other side. Do you know what I mean? There's a commander. Yes, yeah. You know, he had his equivalent uh, who was planning like he was planning. Guys getting orders and... Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, it's quite a... It's quite a jump, isn't it, to go from sort of blank firing and rangers to that. <laughs> yes. Um, they're not stupid. That's what oh, one no. thing like people don't know is they are an intelligent bunch. They, they they know when you can shoot and when you can't shoot and stuff like that. Like oh, you God, can be yeah, in a yeah. firefight with them and then they'll just put their guns down, put their hands up and you'll be like, you can't shoot them. Yeah. And, they're, and, they're, and to I mean, that, that, well, that, that for me is like one of the major myths of, of Afghan. I've heard people talk about them like they heard the phrase, they're like ghosts and you never see them. It's yeah. absolute rubbish. You see them all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, when you see two fighting age males carrying a bundle of sticks, like six twigs, um, you know that they're not collecting firewood uh, because fighting age males don't do that job. The children do, and they're bent yeah. double with a big wrap of uh, blanket on their back full of firewood. Um, but yes, you, you're absolutely right. You have to play the well. You know, well, you have to adhere to international law, yeah. but you know, you have to play the game. Okay, well, that's you. Well, you know, this is us, and it, it's almost like um, I compare it to boxing and sparring. You know, like the first round in a professional okay, yeah. fight, it's yeah. usually the two fighters trying to suss each other out, how they're going to approach how they move, how they the round this. two, three, yeah. four, and five. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? It's trying to get um, sort of a, an appreciation of what what you're up against, what they're prepared to do, what their, what their uh, modus operandi is. Um, yeah, really trying to sort of 
yeah, just trying to get a, a sort of un, an understanding of what you're up against uh, and to what extent they're prepared to sort of take things to. Have you seen the film Zulu? I have, yeah. So, you know, basically when they first come, they just basically stand there, they, they get shot, you know what I mean? They do it to see what they're up against, they see the numbers, everything like that. Absolutely. It's pretty yeah. much what exactly what it's like. This that exactly. I was just about to say that, and the process for them was the same. They wanted to see what kind of people we were. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more on that. Uh, however, um, we did have a tragedy uh, pretty early on. Um, would you like to? Would you like to describe how how you remember that patrol? Yeah. Uh, talking about Kev. Um, yeah. So. Um... Yeah, if I remember, we were off to meet, um, we were off to meet uh, multiple Marines. That's right. Um, I can't remember why. What, what, what were we meant to be doing that patrol? Was it just we were going into their, into their AO or something like that? They wanted... Um... My recollection is that we were going to meet up um, just to do like a joint patrol. Um, yeah. And effectively sort of... Sh by deploying out as two multiples, we would then meet up and then we would become a platoon effectively in yeah. number which meant that we could, we were more tactically flexible. Obviously, yes, if you, yeah. when you're in a small team, you're limited on what you can and can't take on. When you're in a larger group, obviously, you, you're a lot more flexible in what you can, what you can, um, the amount of force that you can bring to bear. Yeah. Um, and and that, that, of course, affects the decision-making process. Um, you, certain things that aren't feasible become feasible. Um so yeah, if I remember correctly, it was just a. Um, it was just literally a meet and just joint patrol sort of thing. A joint patrol, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we. I remember we set off, uh, and it's important to say there's no such thing as a routine patrol in Afghanistan. No. Um, and yeah, would you like to sort of go from there, from leaving the front gate? Yeah. So. Um... So from our front gate, we had um, we had basically a compound directly in front of us, and um, we thought we went around the compound, and I think where the IED was, the improvised explosive device, it was sort of behind the compound, out of sight from any of our sangers. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were just um, yeah we were just patrolling out, um, just like you say. Routine patrol, but not a routine patrol. It was just what we day to day business. Basically, we were out. Uh, we went to meet the Marines, and um, yeah, um, we uh, sorry. That's okay. Um, <laughs> that's okay, mate. Uh, as I remember it. Because I was at the rear of the patrol, you were near the front. You were the lead. I was second man, yes. Yeah, you were second man of that patrol. Yeah. Um, I remember we'd come out of the uh, out of our checkpoint, the 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 compound that we were renting off one of the farmers. Um, we've gone sort of back on ourselves on ourselves through the village next to our checkpoint. Uh, yeah. We then hung uh, like a left turn, effectively heading east. There was a small group of locals who were stood in the corner. I think we. These were guys that we'd invited into the CP previously. We'd spoken to them. Um, and if I'm correct in saying, Kev asked if the field that we intended to cross was safe. Uh, if they That's right. Because we asked them to walk us through, didn't we? If I remember. like If they wanted to come with us, yeah. 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 
Basically. Not as sandbags, not you know, <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. forcibly marching them ahead of us, but to you know, would you like to come with us, kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, it was like it's asking them to help us. At the end of the day, it's their field; they'll know if something's different. It, it exactly, basically helps yeah. us, and in the long run, yeah. Um, Understandably, though, they didn't want to be seen with UK forces. No, uh, no, that was the, yeah, that's for, the thing you know, for good reasons. Uh. So, yeah, I remember sort of coming around that corner. The patrol was already sort of because, you know, we were quite spaced out as per your uh, standard operating procedure. You don't bunch up. Um, we were keeping a sort of healthy distance uh, yeah. from each other. Uh, and we continued along yeah, through that field. And uh, would you like to sort of take us from there? Um, yeah. So as we were going through that field, um, that was just, this massive explosion from behind me, dust everywhere. Um, and it's so disorientating when that happens. You, you're pretty unsure where you are, where you're facing stuff like that. It's, it, re- it really hits you. You can feel, you can feel the impact of it. Yeah. Like, it's like a massive dum. You feel it in your heart sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hard that to explain this. It's, it, it, yeah, that was, that was a massive explosion. Um, I remember someone in line calling, you know, is everyone okay? Everyone's like, yeah, we're all good. We're all good. Shit. Yeah. Kev. Fucking, yeah. Um, Saw Kev on the ground and it was like, fuck, we need to get to him to get some fucking first aid on him. Um, Me. uh, So... Two of the lads, um, they valent up to him to make sure it was clear, like that it was a quick fucking check. Who we need to get to him to get some fucking treatment done to him, stop any bleeding, everything like that. So yeah, we got we got to Kev then, and yeah, that was a that was a sight. Um, it was he, quite. Um, so it's just for anyone uh, who isn't in the know a valon is a, a, a metal detector apologies uh, yeah no no it's cool man um it's a metal detector that's specifically designed really to pick up low metal low content um in the ground um because the devices that were being used at the time were specifically designed to have a low metal content so they were even more difficult to find um and then of course you've got the problem with because of the length of time that there's been conflict in Afghanistan. The ground is littered with empty casings from ammunition, yep. just bits of metal, bits of frag. I mean, there's bits of farm equipment. Um, I mean, even stuff like a coke can or something like that. Yeah, just a ring it, pull. It's rubbish. Can, yeah, yeah. there's quite a lot of rubbish on the ground, if I remember correct. Like, uh, yeah, it, it was hard to try and use a valon out there. It is very difficult. It's yeah, it, it's it's no guarantee of finding anything, is it? It's just, not at all. No. Um, so yeah, from where I was, uh, I'm at the rear of the patrol uh, as the GPMG gunner. Um, we yeah, we were just walking ahead, and then there was the explosion. And I remember at the time because of because of the nature of the explosion, it looked like an impact. It didn't look like an IED. Um, which... It's weird because. Um... Me and two other lads had already walked past it. Yeah. So that's what it was like. It was kind of disorientating on 
how has that come from behind us sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you obviously you guys straight away have rock and rolled into your training. You're doing the recovery of a casualty. Yeah. Um, the second in command at the time is now the commander and it's yeah. his job to organize the, what's called the nine liner, which is a casualty description contact IED, which simply means that on the radio, everyone now knows that there's been an incident and assets are, ready to, yeah. Yeah. assets are now being redirected to assist. Um, however, like I said, because we, because it looked like an impact, we thought there'd been a rocket attack, like an incredibly accurate rocket attack. Yeah. Um, and we were expecting an ambush. Um, so as you guys are doing the first aid, another team is now preparing a landing zone for the helicopter to come and get the way. Um, uh, while at the rear of the patrol, we've gone firm. Um, and again, now we're looking to protect you guys. Uh, and in doing so, we noticed sort of to our rear, um, it's either three or four people had what we call peeling, uh, about 300 meters away, had peeled into a behind a sort of raised sort of, it's either a wall or some sort of raised. There's some bank one, that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, and sort of they've, four of them have come running out. The first one has gone, has stopped. Then the third one's gone past him and stopped. And then the, the next one and then the next one. So they're now, in the way that we would, uh, how we would uh, set up a, a, a baseline, a fire. Yeah. Um, so we thought we were about to get an ambush pretty quickly, um, at which point I'd been given permission to fire warning shots um, and I fired a small a small burst uh, way above their heads just to let them know that we could see you. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see us, we see you. Um, and which point, if I'm not mistaken, that's when the patrol, the Marine patrol that we were supposed to be meeting up with, they had obviously heard this and were en route. And by that point, they'd actually cleared their way over to us and were assisting us. They, in they were fucking quick getting to us. They, yeah, um, they didn't they mess around. Did they? To us, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The Marines did not mess around. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, uh, the love lad were, um, treating Kev and, um, we see them sort of coming and, um, they they had they had a, a proper medic with them to come help out. So um, she came straight to us and started helping with treatment, everything like that. Um, we'd already torn the cave, covered in FFDs, um, first field dressing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, we we've done our best to stop the bleeding, to patch everything up. It's literally you're trained to literally stop the bleeding and then check him over. So at the time. Uh, after we'd done the first sort of thing, we checked your breathing, we checked everything like that. Um, your breathing, it, but it was quite faint, you know? Yeah. Um, so we were literally doing our best to literally keep him with us until the helicopter arrived, what the uh, 2IC called in. That's right, yeah. It, and it, it, It's one of those things, you're talking about something that happens in a matter of minutes, and yet it feels like forever, doesn't it? It was the longest whatever 10 15 minutes of my life it was yeah 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 um so we got kev away um you guys got him onto onto the merch chopper um which means medical emergency response team so chinook 
uh, it's effectively a flying ambulance um, with way more medical equipment than we could possibly carry uh, with uh, doctors and a surgeon as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, surgeons, doctors, everything like that on board, yeah. Yeah, um, it's... I think flying ambulance doesn't do it justice. I think flying... It's a flying hospital. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Um, it, some miracles have happened on, on those things. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then once that was done, uh, well, we we effectively turned turned back around, didn't we, and went back into the checkpoint. Yeah, uh, I think um, the Marines came out, didn't they? Um, that's right. Yeah, they yeah. sort of um, pushed out towards us, you know, to help off extra protection, everything like that. Um, yeah, we sort of they came out, we patrolled back in. And then it was like, fuck, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. It was like the first, the first couple of seconds you actually get to put your brain together when you sort of, I've just, I've just done all that medical treatment. I'm back now. It's like, fuck, it was my first point of like, sort of like switching off a tiny bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that bringing yourself down again, isn't it? Yeah. Because something else could happen in the next 10 minutes. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? You need to. You can't constantly be up on that adrenaline. Um, yeah. You have to think rationally and bring yourself down and prepare for the next incident, <laughs> uh, which could happen at any minute. Um, yeah. I remember we literally just got into the CP and we were all just basically stood basically by the gate and it was a fuck moment. Like, what the yeah. fuck just happened? Yeah. It was, uh, it, it really hit, it really hits you. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we we stayed in the CP that day. Uh, later that night, our commanding officer um, and the RSM, the the first battalion, of the rifles uh, HQ headquarters element, came to visit us and to give us the the news that Kev had, had died, um, and basically began to discuss the the incident and also the repatriation ceremony um about getting kev back to his family um which of course we wanted to be part of um you know well, lucky we got to go camp bastion for that to be fair to... extremely lucky yeah yeah um which was great that you know uh, a lot of things had to be changed for that to happen um but yeah we were very lucky we were able to to do that um I mean, bearing in mind at this point, the rest of A Company had been on a quite a large scale uh, operation in uh, in their AO um, as part of an operation that had actually been planned by the parachute regiment who we'd taken over from uh, that for whatever reason had been sort of shelved until we got there and they carried out, uh, one rifles carried out the operation instead. Um, so they there was guys in Camp Bastion from the rest of A Company um, when we were there, who themselves had just recently come off the ground and had been in some pretty heavy fighting. Uh, they'd, they'd taken quite a few casualties as well, if I remember correctly, or certainly taken a few casualties. Yes. Um, so, I mean, this is very early on. This is what, within a month, really, or a month and a uh, bit? This, this is the first five weeks. Yeah. Yeah, this is very yeah. early on. A uh, hell of a start. So, I, I mean... I remember, I, I remember very vividly doing the uh, 
the ramp, what's called the ramp ceremony, where the coffin is taken onto the back of a C-130. Um, and it's really sort of our last chance to say goodbye um, before uh, the, the, the person that's been killed goes back home. That was hard. That was a hard... Um, it's break. not easy, is it? It really wasn't. No. Um, but with that done... I don't know if we spent the night, I can't remember if we spent the night or if we ended up going straight back out. Um, it was, again, it was a very quick turnaround before we were back in the checkpoint and back on patrol yeah. um, with, a, with a new commander um, who was going to take over pretty much where Kev left off effectively. Um, again, yeah, trying to keep perspective, the bigger picture, um, okay, we've taken a hit, we've taken a bad hit, but we've got a job to do. That job hasn't changed. Um, so very sort of quickly, we were back out, getting out on the ground. Um, you know, cracking on with, with what we were there to do. Uh, literally straight back on guard duty, straight back out <laughs> patrolling. It was... Um... It's hard to get the time to think about what's actually what's just happened in the past couple of days. It's strange, isn't it? Because you have to assess it. Yeah. It, there's an incident. Someone's died. So I remember we had the Royal Military Police. Uh, we'd had to give statements to them. Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously, I had to because I think I was the only guy on the patrol who'd fired rounds. Yes. Um, so I I had to account for that. Um, and so yeah, it, it, it's kind of strange because you have to assess it, but you can't. You basically can't begin begin the grieving process. You know, uh, you have to shelve that, um, and you'll deal with that. You know, deal with that later. Um, but you know, like I said, you know, we had a job to do, um, yeah. and that hadn't changed. And you know, there was a multiple of Marines that were relying on us to assist them um, in you know any way we can in in doing their job as well. So it didn't take long before you know we were back out on the ground. We Effectively showing our new commander his AO he was working with his uh, his contemporary uh, his Royal Marine contemporary yeah um, and again we were sent out on another another patrol uh, this time uh, another joint patrol uh, we were going to go to a the next checkpoint uh, and then we were going to move up to a certain area we were either going to search an area. Uh. It wasn't so much a search operation as much as we're going to go to this area just to test the atmospherics and see how we're received, uh, see how the locals are with us to get an indication of sort of how how malleable that area would be for development and and you know how secure we could make it. So, do you want to take us through that and what happened uh, as you remember it? So, what I remember. Um, I'm not 100% correct. Um, 100%. I know exactly. Like, remember the exactly what happened. If I remember, we patrolled up. We went to their CP, uh, their um, checkpoint. Uh, from their checkpoint, we got a small little brief. Um, I think they wanted to search a village or go speak to people in the village or something like that. And we were just there uh, doing like basically like satelliting around them. Um, just a bit of our protection while they're in there just to show, you know, we're here sort of thing. And, yeah, we came up to um, 
there was a compound in front of us. Um, there was like, a massive wall. We had a ditch on our left, on our right, sorry. <coughs> and it was there was like a tight little, tight little walkway next to the compound wall, and didn't really want to go through it. Um, so we like we tried getting well, we got across over the other side of like the irrigation ditch. Um, and it was a bit of a struggle, so um, a decision was made that we're gonna carry on going forward, try to go through that, go past the compound. And I came back from the other side of the irrigation ditch, and I think I literally I got up onto our side. Um, I think I literally I think I took like one step um, onto our onto our side, and. Yeah, things went um, a bit a bit fuzzy from there. Um, <laughs> best way to put it. Um, I just remember just seeing like mud, like dust, basically. Um, and what well, I wasn't one hundred percent sure what had happened. Um, later found out that it was me who stood on um, an IED, an improvised explosive device. Um, so I, I was, I was in and out of it at first. After I stood on it, um, I think I'm not sure if I died or I didn't die, um, but I remember landing um, and being wet, like getting a wet feeling sort of thing, um, and then that's it. I was out of it. Um, yeah, sorry. No, no, it's cool, man. It's cool. Um, so sort of to pick up where where Andy's uh, sort of left off. Uh, I was in the centre of the patrol on this one. Um, I was just behind our commander, who at the time was just about to step into the irrigation ditch. The explosion went off. You have that initial shock. I remember taking a piece of mud to the face, um, and it just felt like I'd been punched in the jaw. I had a bit of a raised jaw <laughs> for a while afterwards. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the scale of things, yeah, not a yeah. Um, I remember seeing the commander crawling back out of the ditch. We then pulled back. Oh, it must be like ten meters along the route we'd already walked, with the intention of that route was safer than the one that we'd gone on, if that makes sense, um, to begin the process of trying to assist. Um, because the lead team, who were all, basically all three guys were involved in that incident, uh, were our primary search team, which Andy was part of. Um, we had a secondary set of the metal detectors um, and working on the principle that there's never just one IED. There's always, you know, no one just puts one mine and calls it a minefield. There's always more. And that's what you're constantly worried about is setting off more. Um, so we've gone firm. I can't remember exactly the sequence of events, but I remember we could hear someone moaning. And it was like, it was in between breaths. So they'd moan and then, and then moan again. And then this moaning got quicker and quicker and quicker and louder and louder and louder. And then it just stopped. And this was as the guys, the secondary search team were getting their uh, metal detectors ready. Um, your commander climbed out of the ditch. 
um, he had taken a load of frag and dirt to his face from the blast. His face um, was like pepper pied, wasn't it? it was, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, he, as we all were, uh, we were all wearing our uh, personal protective equipment. Um, so he had like the perfect outline of his glasses around his eyes. Otherwise, he would have lost the sight of his eyes. Uh, sorry, uh, lost the use of both of his eyes. He was obviously in shock, um, but he was walking wounded, which meant that, you know, as shocked as he was after a quick check over, he just wasn't the priority, uh, basically. The, you know, that's how triage works. The lead guy, uh, at this point, we didn't know what happened to him. Um, we actually thought that it, it was him who had been injured, and we actually thought he was gone, as in we thought he was pink mist. There was nothing left. What actually happened was he had been blown through the air and basically done a Superman straight into a wall and was knocked out uh, in a bush. So as as we're preparing to get, we can hear who I, in reflection, I think was you, Andy. Uh, yeah. you, you were making these noises. Uh, and then when you stopped, as the guys were getting the metal detectors ready, the commander of the uh one of the one of the lance corporals basically just chucked his kit off and just leroy jenkins it straight into the ditch to go and get you without any <laughs> metal, metal detecting equipment um by this point we'd had the the contact id uh procedure which is over the radio has been sent um we're already getting lists of the casualties involved uh we have an apache helicopter over us which 99 percent of the time the moment uh an apache appears the the enemy forces give up they don't want they don't want anything to do with with that uh which freed us up it meant that more of us could assist on the medical side of things we didn't have to worry as much about our immediate protection um because again working on the principle that there's never just one ID, you always assume that there's going to be a follow-up attack after the ID incident to capitalize on, on the effect. Um, so we've got Apaches watching our back as we're dealing with you. Um, I remember vividly uh, helping the medic lay out the stretcher for whoever was going to come out of the ditch first. Um, we had his medical bag was next to it. That was opened up. We had everything ready, ready to go ready for the body, sorry, for you to come Cheers. out. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I remember the the commander sort of cradling you. And what stuck out in my mind was just how white your bones were from where your legs were um, and how one of your one of your shin bones was still attached to the knee, but you didn't have a kneecap. It was it was very strange. It was sort of, well, sort of okay. Yeah, um, we get you down on the stretcher. Yeah, uh, you're completely out of it. You're not you're not with us anymore. Um, one of the things that stuck out in my mind uh, was that your eyes were open, um, but you had mud, like little chunks of mud on your actual eyeball. And normally, if that <laughs> under any other circumstances that would be so irritating and quite uncomfortable <laughs> yeah but it had no effect on you and i remember trying to clear the mud off your eyes and the medic going dan that's not a priority right now <laughs> 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 so uh 
we opened up the we had four liters of water in bottles um bearing in mind you've been found in a ditch so you're extremely muddy um yeah. tip the water over your eyes over your face and then over your your leg wounds and your hip where the majority of the damage was um again it's one of these things you the, the way you prioritize stuff so we we had to strip your clothes away to actually look at what damage was so we could triage what needed to be done first um and there's three of us working on you at this point um so we've assessed okay i mean it, it <laughs> uh i've seen some mashed up people before but not quite as bad as you uh, um your your pelvis was in pieces um you were kind of open the way i described it later on when we were doing the uh, traumatic incident uh, management uh, yeah. uh discussions was you looked like a, a flower like the petals the, the the way that your sort of lower half had opened out um okay, yeah so we started applying the first field dressings um again um we're sort of doing that while the medic who is uh, the Navy medic who was with us is heading up the show and he's getting your airway sorted with the intention of to begin uh, basic, uh, basic life support, i.e. get your lungs and heart going again. Yeah. Um, checking your mouth, your mouth, your airway and your mouth was clear, but to, to double check in case your tongue had gone back or something, we decided to use the nasal pharyngeal um which is an airway tube that you put into the nose it's uh, like a very malleable goes through the nasal cavity back to the throat uh, to open up the esophagus to give a direct line of air to to uh to a casualty um at which point you literally as soon as that went in it was like switching on a light you tried to sit up and your first words were where's yates uh the rifleman that at this point was still missing uh, who we assumed was 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 red mist had, had been blown to pieces um so y you've now come around you're talking to us and i think we ended up taking the the, the airway out of your nose because it's extremely uncomfortable it's not not a pleasant experience and you were breathing um yeah. so I, I remember through this we're trying to trickle feed information to the commander who's organizing the helicopter trying to give information uh, the medical information that's required sort of pulse uh, rate pressure response to pain all that kind of stuff um, at which point the medic asked me to get your carotid pulse uh, in your neck so I'm looking at you we're making eye contact and we're talking yeah. and I've jabbed my fingers into your neck to try and find try and get a pulse and despite the fact you're looking at me and talking to me you didn't have a pulse your <laughs> pressure was that low yeah um again which which was strange because you weren't that bloody um there wasn't a lot of blood for you uh, i'm not sure if that's because you had been found in an irrigation ditch and it had washed away or or if it, it you effectively cauterized a lot of the wounds um yeah, yeah. In, in reflection i think it's because your body had actually gone into shock and the blood the the sort of blood vessels to your extremities which were very badly damaged so actually closed closed up and was being sent to sort of goes to where it's needed yeah to, to the internal organs which yeah. were also quite quite badly 
damage um, from what I remember. Um, as we're doing this, Yates, the guy who'd done the Superman uh, into a wall, had been recovered, had been found. Um, though, again, massively concussed, um, not with it at all. Um, so he's another casualty, though he's breathing and he's walking. Same as the, the guy who's taken a load of uh, frag to his face. Um, so we begin the process of wrapping you up, waiting for the helicopter to come. That process, you used every single first field dressing that we had. Um, we didn't have any field dressings left after we finished with you. Um, to the extent that the guy who'd taken um, frag to the face, despite the fact his face was very, very bloody, it was, you know, he was bleeding quite profusely. He was holding a first field dressing to his face. He came over and handed us his field dressing that he was using to say, look, you, <laughs> Andy needs it more than me um, because we we were running out. Um, Did you um, use the stuff out of my day sack or my day sack not with me? Or I don't think your day sack was with you, mate. I think yeah. that had blown off. Um, so a I mean, lot in there. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, we all carried, because we were all team carried medics. Your own. Yeah. We all carried quite extensive medical kits with us anyway yeah um so yeah we we were wrapping up your legs um we your hands were obviously as as you know uh, were quite badly damaged you'd lost fingers um the guy who had pulled you out of the ditch who'd gone in on his own to get you had um he was very neatly trying to <laughs> <laughs> your fingers up as if you'd broken your fingers like you would someone who'd just try which, to it, take care of it you know yeah yeah trying to you know separate each one and that and make yeah. sure they're individually at which point the medic looked at him and went just make a fist put a dressing on it and wrap it up <laughs> and forget it he needs it's his lungs that we're worried about um yeah. so effectively what we did was made you boxing gloves um <laughs> So you had these two green boxing gloves on each of your hands um, as we were starting to really try and get your pelvis back together. Um, yeah. Fucking hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had to put a pelvis brace on you to try and stem the, the, the damage that was, or mitigate the damage that had been done there. Bearing in mind that the pelvis, you can easily bleed out just from damaging your pelvis. It's There's enough room for you to bleed internally to death. Uh, yeah. just from all this. Um, at various points you'd slipped in and out of well you could say consciousness but I'd say death uh, given how low your blood pressure was and how intermittent your, your breathing was um, I can't remember if we ended up putting another airway in you at one point that brought you back around again Okay. Um, I'm not 100% sure uh, but putting the brace on you, on your hip, and tightening that up definitely brought you out of unconsciousness because the amount of pain that that caused. Um, you I tried remember that fucking sucked. <laughs> you tried taking it off. Like, we had yeah. to hold you down to stop you from taking it off as we were, like, apologising for <laughs> for putting it on. Um, it suck, but deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Um I remember uh, which, asking for morphine, mate. I was in fucking shit state, but that again, you know, we spoke previously about this. That haunts yeah. me to this day was not being able to give you morphine. Um, because yeah, like, I've done the exact same thing. That's the thing. But, but the thing was, like, the morphine that we would have given you, the risk of that, 
if we just waited for the Mer the the, the uh, medical emergency response uh, helicopter to land, they had um, they had pain relief that we didn't, which wouldn't have had that effect on your blood pressure. Um, yeah. So it, it was a I hate to say it, an, an executive decision that you we couldn't give you morphine. I've done the exact same thing. That's the thing. So yeah, it yeah, would have finished. I, I, I don't. I don't knock anyone for it at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, we uh, again passing passing information, trickle feeding information to the commander, who's then passing that up to the radio, and we could hear the the Chinook coming in. It's <laughs> a very distinctive sound, so we knew that was going. Um, I think I remember the smoke grenade getting thrown into the the area that had been cleared for it to land in. The Chinook sort of come in, span around. So the rear of it with the ramp is facing down before it even hit, yeah, before it even landed. We've picked up the stretcher and we're running towards the back of the Chinook, uh, at which point the loadmaster, um, he's come off. So the loadmaster's job, he's basically the god of the helicopter. The pilot is the pilot, but the loadmaster decides who gets it on and off and when and what in that order. Um, he's he's come off the back of the Chinook or she's come off the back. I, I can't even remember. Uh, I was at the front of the, uh, of the stretcher and before that they given us the all clear to board, I've just pushed them out of the way, uh, <laughs> ran over cause there was, um, I can't remember if there was the, the M60 that was used as the door gun and was on the ramp. I can't remember if that was there or not, but we've, I've gone over that or we've jumped up onto the ramp and then literally just pushing people cause there's a small team, on the helicopter just in case that they land in under fire and they can protect they literally come out for protection don't they they literally yeah. run out there if uh, needed and then straight back in so yeah we've running with you pushing these people out of the way and again if anyone was on there on that day i'd like to apologize but pushing <laughs> them out of the way so we could get you straight to the to straight to the organ grinder um at which point, me and you said our goodbyes, and um, yeah, that, that was it. We got you away and got you off, got you off from the to start the uh, the road back to Camp Bastion. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, from there. So, a um, few things I, mean, I remember, man, was like I couldn't see. That was the thing. Like, like you said, I got mud in my eyes and stuff like that. I, oh, I, I couldn't see anything. Like you said, I was looking at you. I, I probably, I didn't see you. I probably just looking at you, sort of thing. But. Yeah, I couldn't see anything, so I didn't know exactly what my injuries were. What's yeah, you know, if I knew, like, oh, I've lost both my legs, you know, what I mean, I'd know. I sort of like, fuck, <laughs> but, not always. Yeah, well, yeah, but you know, what I mean, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me, so that was yeah, that was course, like, yeah. I was like, when I said, like, oh, where's the other lad? You know what I mean? I was like, I didn't know what was wrong with me because I didn't think I took the brunt of the blast. Mm -hmm. I thought he took it all, and I was like, shit, is he okay? You know what I mean? Can help and then yeah sorry just to point to clarify as well we got the other two guys on the same helicopter as well um yeah so that was three of you away in on the same on the same uh helicopter um so yeah and all of this happened in the space of was it eight minutes i think it was one of the quickest um, responses they've done they they were here in no time yeah, um, but it didn't feel that like that. <laughs> no, it really didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it did not feel like eight minutes. Um, so, 
that was pretty much your tour over, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, one more thing. When they took me onto um, the helicopter, um, when you took me on the helicopter, sorry, and up with the docks, um, I was like, knock me out, knock me the fuck out now. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they, they, um, t- they had to put an oxygen mask on my face for obvious reasons. And um, when they put on, I felt like I couldn't breathe um, and stuff. Um, it was horrible. And they said I was fighting them off to get that mask on my face. They had to pin me down to keep on my face and knock me out. That's not unusual. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were in a fantastic amount of pain. Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think the, the worst thing was like, like I know quite a lot, a lot of the other ads we've got blown up and some said it doesn't hurt that much and that, but they were like conscious the whole time. So Mm. when I went out of it, that's all my adrenaline gone. Yeah. I think the lack of adrenaline just made it fucking hurt a lot more. Well, yeah. Um, well, like I said, your 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 injuries were extensive. Um, yeah, yeah. This was not a small. Uh, well, there's no such thing as a small uh, ID injury, but it was, <laughs> it was pretty horrific uh, by any any standards. Um, so, do you remember much of Bastion? Uh, when I got took back there, hmm. so I was out of it the whole time. Right. Um, the, um, apparently, I had people come see me and stuff like that. Like, obviously, I was out of it. Um, I I had quite a few operations when I was in Bastion, and then right. I think it was because we. This was like seven o'clock in the morning. I got hit, wasn't it? It, it was, was pretty early. Yeah, it was early, and I think I was out of Bastion by then. By it was either by the night or by the next morning. Like, they literally flew me straight home. Like, I had a plane to myself, and then they took me um, straight back to um, Birmingham. Yeah. Um, they got the um, hospital there where all the injured go, uh, Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Queen Elizabeth, yeah. Um, what's, yeah, they got the fucking best surgeons, best doctors, everything there. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, basically, the quicker you get back there, the better your survival chances are. That's know? it, yeah. I yeah. think they say it's uh, the first five minutes, is it? is where the life-saving treatment happens yeah or something like that if everything goes good in that first five minutes your increase your um chance of survival increases yeah um so yeah you have that five minute window and then you have the golden hour don't you Um, golden hour that's it that's the one i was looking for (laughs) yeah um yeah so we got the majority done really in that sort of golden well yeah in that eight minutes really we we, effectively we had stabilized you enough that they, the professionals could then sort of yeah. get you further, you know? Yeah, um, well, eight minutes to get, like, tourniquets, the pelvic brace, every FFD, you know, that's, <laughs> a, that's, good, that's good effort. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, fucking hell, mate. You, you know what I mean? You, the doc, everyone, mate, you saved my life at the end of the day, and well, the gratitude is unreal. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's just thank you, man. That's all good, mate. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, after this incident, there was uh, an area of contention, shall we say, um, we, you'd got away, uh, we were combat ineffective because we were so 
so small. Undermanned, our, yeah. Our patrol was massively undermanned now. Um, a call sign from C Company, one rifles came over. They didn't know that we were in that area. We were very close to their AO, but no one had deemed to tell them that we would be operating on their border. Um, the ID NATO team uh, from PB5 came out. They cleared a route partially for us to leave. This is over several hours. Uh, we then moved off and we were going to be picked up by vehicles. Um, I think it was near the CP that we'd set off from where we, as in the one where we'd met up with the Marine Corps sign to then go and, so we've gone back there. Okay. Um, got onto the vehicles. Uh, and while we were in those vehicles getting taken back to Sarhad, um, we could hear Kilo Company, shall we say, getting their story straight in reference to why we'd been sent to the area that we'd been and effectively were trying to blame the commander for what happened um, as the area we were in was a known ID uh, red zone to everyone yeah, except I, us. I got told the area was basically red boxed where basically it's a no-go zone. Um, that area is marked on the map. Do not go there. And that's it. Um, however, yeah, we, that, you know, that is, that is what it is. That's how we interpreted it. Uh, we got back to Sarhad. I remember the commander getting out of the vehicle and just raising his arms saying, they're trying to stitch me up. Um, we then spoke to our, his, he spoke to his Marine counterpart. He was trying to say, no, no, that's not what's going on. And, but even he was, okay, that was messed up. He got uh, straight on the defensive to deal like that. It wasn't me. Is Yeah. Uh, we effectively said, right, we're not doing this with you. Uh, we want to go back to a company, um, which is quite a, a bold statement to say while in theater, it's you, you, you're walking the line with refusing to soldier, which is quite a, that's not something you can buy. <laughs> it's fucking serious. It's, uh... Yeah. Um, we felt that, given what we'd heard on the radio, that an arse covering exercise was now in place. Um, what, sorry? An arse covering exercise. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, but again, this is not to, to, to run down the guys that we were with. They were yeah, I've got nothing against and the, the, the individual Marines uh, that we were with, but um, we were not happy with the way that it had been handled. And uh, we felt that if that's how Kilo Company wanted to operate, that's fine. We didn't want to be part of it. Um, and we'd rather be with our own unit. Uh, it wasn't long after that, uh, we, we then moved back to uh, PB4, uh, back to our sort of parent parent company as it were um and sort of began the, the, the process there of like trying to get our heads around what the fuck just happened um i mean yeah in this in the space of you know was it two weeks uh i think i hit it was either seven or ten days after uh, right, yeah. seven days lost. after 
we'd lost four guys through death and injury. Yeah. In a very short period of time. Um, yeah. Uh, which then sort of dictated the rest of our tour, really. Um, which is, you know, which we'll, I'll be discussing obviously with other people. But um, yeah, for us, that was that was pretty much that was our that was our time with at Sarhad uh, done with. Yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, you are at the Queen Elizabeth. Yes. So, what was the process of sort of? Because you, you, uh, you hear stories from casualties where people sort of they drift in and out of consciousness. They, you know, they have conversations and they go back under and they don't remember that they've, you know, spoken to their parents or whatever. At some hundred percent true. So that's yeah, that happened with you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, when I got to um, QE uh, Queen Elizabeth Hospital, um, I was in intensive. I was out as intensive care for a while. Um, I was unconscious for well, in, in the coma for, I think it was four weeks. So right. in that four weeks, they're basically just been doing operation after operation after operation, trying just to fix me and keep me alive, basically. Um, in that time, my um, my parents got told, uh, it was twice, they got told that you need to go say your goodbyes, like he's, he's on his way out. Um, I think it was less than five percent chance of um, living. So they're like, Christ. "Yeah, they're like, you need to go say goodbye." He's he's done now, sort of thing. Um, to be fair, we, uh, yeah, we were basically told to expect the worst. Yeah, like, we, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Everyone said, you know, you, you guys, you did what you could, but you know, he's hanging in there. But it's it's yeah. Don't know how long for. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um so yeah, I was um so yeah, that was like my first four weeks in and out getting told <laughs> he's basically dead. Um and then I think after that four weeks I started coming back round. Um and it was I don't I don't remember much, it was hard like um the first time that I knew and it sunk in that I'd lost my legs was um, I was speaking to my mum and um, I was like, can you take my socks off? My feet are really hot. She was like, son, you know, you've, you've lost your legs. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, that's the first time it probably um, hit me. I was actually, um, yeah, had a nice injury. Um, it's yeah. one of those things, isn't it? Because the, the way you deal with that threat before you go is it's not going to happen to me. Exactly that. Yeah, you know, you know I mean, yeah. Until like, it does, uh, the chances <laughs> are very fucking low. It's going to happen to you, you know. Yeah. But yeah. So um, yeah, in hospital, um, it, it's it's hard because like I was in and out of it all the time, um, and the fucking amount of medication I was on, it was hard to know what was real and what what wasn't. Like I had, I had some fucked up dreams while I was out. What? They're fucking horrible, and going in and out of consciousness with them, it sort of, it it plays tricks on what's actually going on. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember half the shit what happened in like I say probably the first month and a half in the hospital that I didn't really know what's going on. I was still in intensive care. They were yeah. still trying to save my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
like I had my blood going through dialysis because um, at the point where my um, my body temperature was ridiculous and they couldn't cool me down. Right. So they put my blood through dialysis, let my blood cool in the dialysis machine and pump it back in. Is that because of the infection? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, because of landing in that irrigation ditch, um, I just got riddled with fucking everything. Yeah. Um, so um, like you said, um, I think we spoke before where you said my legs were, one was below knee and one was above where That's the right, yeah, blast yeah. happened. Um, currently now I have one of my legs is currently going through my hip. So I'm missing about a quarter of my pelvis on the right hand side. Right. And, um, on my left, I've just got a tiny bit of a uh, femur left and that's it. Yeah. So like <laughs> compared to what I had, um, to what I am now, I just got riddled with infection. They cut a bit off and they're like, you still got an it that's moving. They have to keep chopping more off, more off and more off. And that's what kind of, the worst thing was, was that infection. What, um, screwed yeah. me the most. Um, but yeah, somehow um, managed to fight off in the end. Was can't complain. Yeah, <laughs> penicillin's yeah. a hell of a drug, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it was it was a very long recovery. Um, like I had um, I had Netflix on. Um, well, base it's basically like, are you talking? I can't hear you. Uh, sorry yeah the internet was a bit dodgy there mate um so i came to visit you uh in the queen elizabeth um after uh in terms of you talking about the infection and that i was shocked i we thought we'd saved more of your leg legs than you'd lost if that makes sense yeah Uh, yeah and that was quite that was quite hard to get get the head around uh, if you know what i mean um, yeah yeah definitely th- but again you know thankful obviously you know uh thankful that you were alive which was the main thing um, so where was i when you came see me was i on the ward or was i still in intensive care no you were on the ward um, well, on the ward at that point yeah yeah because uh, i for some reason i volunteered to take the last r&r package so i would have been one of the last people from the multiple to come and see you um, yeah uh which in a way it, it sort of gave some closure for us. Um, obviously, I because because I was on the last package. The guys were on the first. They come to see you. They obviously spoke about you, and you know. I, uh, I don't remember seeing half of them. That's my thing. Because I was like I said before, I was in and out at that point. The medication on yeah, fucking everything. It was everything's still fuzzy from them points. Well, like I can understand why you say that you, it's difficult to try and get the timeline right because that's not how it sits in your head anymore do you know what i mean it's yeah 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 um i'm still on medication now for like phantom pain and stuff like that and right it's still i still struggle trying to work out when things happened and stuff like that like short-term memories really bad and yeah it's so do you do you remember the um the medals parade when yeah, yeah, yeah. About, yeah so so you, when, when, once I was literally up and about with when I start properly rem- rem- remembering things. Mm-hmm. So it was. So 
after I got blown up uh, in hospital, they had they put like um like I said, my pelvis was um probably messed up. They put like a metal frame on my pelvis. Yeah. And I couldn't sit up with that on, so I was stuck in bed for fourteen weeks with that on to try and get my pelvis to heal. And pretty much most of that time is still don't know not sure what I remember, what order stuff happened, but it was literally after that came out I managed I was able to sit up then and yeah. get in, get into a wheelchair. And sort of that point then getting like, you know, maybe a bit of uh, mobility again is when things start coming together a bit more. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Yeah, that was quite a. Yeah, it it, it was. It was just kind. Of, yeah, it was so strange. Uh, given everything else that happened after that, um, yeah. it and then obviously seeing you again at the at the medals parade, which you know was great. I mean, you know, seeing you. Well, I hate to use the phrase "up and about," but you get my point. Um, I'm not in a bed. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know. You're not got. I'm out of the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, there was a, a satisfaction that what we'd done had worked. You know. Um, yeah. Because that's. I think that is the cruel aspect. You can do everything right and still. They can, it just yeah. doesn't work, you know, um, which is a cruel twist of fate. Um, it is. It's just sometimes the injury is, it's nothing you can do about it. It's, no, no. Every, every, literally everybody has a limit, you know what I mean? That includes yeah. the body, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Body, right. If it's the body's time to shut down, it's the body's time to shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so part of your part of your recovery was some pretty pioneering surgery um, that you discussed in for GQ magazine. Um, yes. Would you like to? I'm going to let you take take it from here if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to talk about like my injuries. Um, so like I said um, before, um, I'm missing my right leg from my pelvis, and I've got a tiny bit of um, femur left on my left side. Um, I also got, um, I'm missing some fingers. Uh, I've got the internal injuries. And also, um, from the blast, um, I lost uh, one one testicle in the blast. And um, and then I had, yeah, my, uh, my penis and my bollocks still. Um, but I also had like... Um, I don't know if you remember, I'd like, um, you know, in, in like the skin between, um, your ass and your cock, you have, Perineal. Like, um, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> I had like a massive rip there. I don't know if you yeah. saw that or not. So I, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'd like, I'd like a gaping hole there. And yeah, after, after they sort of like patched that all up, I lost, I lost all, um, blood flow, um, to the penis and, Basically, that just died off. Uh, just went black and died. Right. Um, so I end up losing. I lost. I lost my cock. I lost my bollocks. Um, but I was lucky in a way because um, I had um, one testicle when I got to hospital. Yeah. They were able to take some sperm out of that 
And, oh, right. Uh, I didn't realize. Nice. Yeah. So I've got sperm on ice at the moment. Oh, nice one, man. So if I um, ever decide to have kids, it's there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, that's sorry. That's new. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> obviously, because most of your mates were, were with a company once we got back with sensitivity obviously guys wanted to know the extent of your injuries um yeah and i'll be honest mate i thought you'd lost it all there and then i don't remember seeing your cockle balls if i'm honest yeah. i thought you'd um, I, I, again at the time you just think well that's yeah don't worry about that there's more, <laughs> there's more important shit going on exactly yeah yeah um i sent you a picture and um on that picture it's all still there I was going to oh, say, I can see it there, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think how... Well, life's, it just gives you an idea of just how mashed up you were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know from I mean? that picture... You, I, I look at that picture and the other picture I've got, and I'm like, if I was a surgeon, where would I start? Do, it's like, you want to try being a team medic, let alone a surgeon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you you've lost. Yeah. So you you effectively lost what you were born with in that sense. But yeah, you've had pioneering surgery to to replace that, and it's yeah, it's been, it's been a long process. process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It stands it. Um, um, I still it, it's still unfinished um, at the right. moment, actually. Um, so they started doing um penile reconstruction and um they um because of missing parts of my pelvis and stuff like that it's finding so i've got none of the nerves on that left inside so feeling wasn't an option right and normally if you have feel like if you've got your nerves on that there you can take um skin from your forearm yeah because that's like the most sensitive skin so to right. get the feeling, they can use that bit of um, that bit of your arm to make the reconstruction. But because, all, like like I said, everything went black and died because of lack of blood, um, they had to do it differently. So they basically um, they took like um, basically like a sausage or stomach fat. Right. Um, so um, yeah, I put on like quite a bit of weight and stuff like that. Uh, because I'd extend this green the grass and stuff like that. So it was all like, I need to get healthy, get a bit more weight. And so they can use more parts of my way to reconstruct different parts. Right. And one main part was for the penis reconstruction. And they, they, so what they done, basically, they, they basically made a roll on my stomach. So they like, they have one end and the other. um, And then they basically cut in between that made like a sausage but it was still it was basically like a handle on the side so it was still attached at both ends on my stomach but the whole middle bit wasn't yeah um what they're trying to do is basically with that tiny bit of like sausage they still want to um keep blood flow and that's the main thing of it so they don't want to detach your part and because it's detached it get lack of blood flow and it'll just end up dying so they had to slowly like build it whilst trying to keep the body to sustain it to keep it to keep it alive basically right so after they done like the little handle on the side they detached one end and put it 
uh, attach that end to where they want it to be, like okay. um, uh, like yeah, on your pelvis sort of bit. So they've done that, um, and then a couple of months later, they cut off at the end. Um, they wanted to make sure it kept blood flow for the most amount of time before they cut it off just to make sure it keeps it. And that was like the main important thing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they had it in place, they cut off the end. They then, and after that sort of like survived all that, they decided to make a head for it. Right. So they, they sort of shape it and, um, they took a skin, a skin graft from um, like under my hair because okay. that skin's pink. Yeah. So they used that to get like the pink head. Right. What was uh, yeah pretty cool um, that they managed to do that. So they they done like an amazing job in that um, to get that far. Um, so at that point, I had the sausage, I had the head. It was all shaped and it was really good. I then. Um, I think this was so end of 2019. Uh, yeah, I think 2019. End of 2019, they decided what they normally do is they put like a prostate balloon in, and then you yep. can pump the prostate balloon in to make it hard so it's mm-hmm. like usable. Um, but it's hard on me because I'm missing part of the pelvis. They need to anchor the balloon onto something. Yeah, of course, yeah. So they decided to put a metal rod in it, um, right. but that that would make it permanently erect, sort of thing. But it was still like <laughs> it was like a bendy rod, sort of thing. So you could like manipulate it, uh, okay. manipulate it, ma- manipulate, yeah, manipulate, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> manipulate its shape to like do what you want with it. Um, but they done that. And then I think it was like three days after the operation, uh, the tip of the rod came through the end. Oh, God. Yeah. So I had a hole in the end with a bit of rod sticking out. So <laughs> I went back in, um, I went to my local hospital and um, the, to get it removed. Um, they spoke to London to find out where it's all attached, stuff like that. And they were like, just send them here. We've done it. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, next day straight to London and um, having surgery to uh, get it removed. So, yeah, right, yeah. And then I think it was uh, April twenty twenty. I was meant to have so they were going to attempt to put the balloon in, but anchor it a different way. Right. Um. But obviously, COVID hit. Yeah. And it and, um like routine surgery wasn't a priority, so it all got cancelled. Yeah. So now I'm still currently on the waiting list to get the next operation to get it finished, hopefully. So, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah, we, we can get through this fucking period. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Quick. And uh, yeah, get, get back to get back to normal running fairly soon. I got a letter from him, um, I think it was about a month ago, saying um, they're starting to do everything again. Um, email us to let us know you still want to get your routine surgery done. So I emailed them back and I'm just waiting to hear out now to see if I can get a surgery date. So hopefully get ball rolling again. Happy days, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so life after, um, I'm, again, I'm, I can only assume, but you've had to make some pretty major adjustments. Um, it's a lot to get your head around. You know what I mean? I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, 
Uh... Yeah, so when I was in hospital, um, I had to use an um, electric chair, electric wheelchair, mm -hmm. because like my, ha um, my hands were in bandages for ages. Uh, when they come out, I was, I was in hospital bed for ages. I had no strength in my arms or nothing. Mm -hmm. So I had to use an electric chair. And like that was my first like you know experience stuff like that being like it you it's hard to like you're restricted so much in a wheelchair like you've of how good the country is there's still like little obstacles everywhere you go and stuff like that right and um so yeah so i had that and when i went to um headley court headley court is the um it's a military rehab center um, I think they've recently closed down, um, but um, yeah, so after the hospital, all the injured lads go to Headley Court, uh, where they've got physios, OTs, occupational therapists, occupational therapists everything um, to get you mobile again. They've got like, they've got gyms, they've got everything to get you fit. It's, um, it's a banging place. And um, from there, I went into like the manual wheelchair and that was sort of like my first proper bit of independence like i'm not relying on time to charge a battery i can literally if i want <laughs> to go about anywhere i can just jump in my chair and move yeah um like my main goal was to get my own independence yeah um, i didn't like having to rely on someone to do stuff for me i didn't like have to rely on something to be able to work for me but so the manual chair was like the best thing i could get um to get me get start back on my independence yeah and it, it it took a while to get used to it as everything does and to finally get where i am now it's it's been a hard and long road but like i've got my own house now i i, I drive cars you know what i mean i can get about all myself and chuck my wheelchair and my car myself everything i like to do i like to be able to do myself yeah otherwise I, it's i don't want to go through life having to rely on someone to do something for me or it, to, for me personally it's about being able to be myself again yeah um yeah i can yeah i can imagine man um i mean it's i mean 10 years on um 10 years god it's quick isn't it? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so, I mean, is there anything that we've not covered that you'd like to, that you, you know, any sort of angle that you've seen that no one else has that you'd like to talk about? I mean, uh, you know, now's, now's the time to do it, mate. Um, um, by all means, we can do this again at some point if, you, if you'd like to. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm always happy uh, to help, man. Um, it's, the thing, like, what people don't see is when, like, for, like, yourself, um, all the lads on the ground, you put me on the helicopter and that's pretty much it. That's the last you see of me mm. until I'm back up or whatever and like that. And behind closed doors, like so much goes on, like out of sight, like the amount of surgery. I think I'm on 78 year old surgeries now. Um, it's, it's been a very long road, like Headley Court, fucking the rehab center. It's fucking amazing. Like everything they have there, to get you to where you want to be is there right and 
yeah, it's it's literally just it's a long road, but you will get to where you want to be if you are determined enough. Like everything you can do, I can do just in a different way. Like yeah. like sport wise, I I scuba dive, I I've done, I've done race car driving, um, I've done skiing, kayaking, everything like that. Like there is a way to do everything. It's just looking at it at a different angle. Yeah. And that's what's been like. It's been it's been difficult, but it's it's been good to work around certain things. I suppose so, it's learning to live again, isn't it? That's um, it. It's literally yeah. starting baby steps and then yeah. going on from that. Yeah. Um, so I think we sort of come into the end um, of this, but I do have a couple more questions, and these are questions that I'm going to be asking everyone. Um, yeah. So the first one is, what myths about military life would you like to bust? Ooh. Okay. Um, I don't know, really. Don't know. <laughs> Sorry, did that stump you? It did. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, military life is... It's not... It's a family. It it really is. It's not... What, like, you got the bullshit in training. I wouldn't say bullshit, but, like... You get treated like like more of a kid in training, and once you get to battalion, it's more being treated like an adult. It's not constantly someone grilling in your face, shouting at you. Mm. It's literally you've done your training. You are now a, a proper soldier. You know what I mean? You are you know your job. You get treated like you know your job. You don't get treated like a child. You see all them like videos, people like screaming in their face and stuff like that. Like if you fuck up, then yeah, hundred percent. You get that, but if you just get to try it like an adult, it's, it's, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's the way to describe military life. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough, man. Um, Not really a myth, but. <laughs> well, no, yeah. no, it, it, it's, it, the question is open for you to interpret. Yeah. Um, and the final question, which I am, which I'm also asking everyone is 10 years on, what do you think of the enemy now? Do you? What, what, I don't. I don't think do you have any to feelings towards them. Or I mean, what's happened has happened. There's nothing I can do to change what's happened, no matter yeah. how hard anyone fucking wishes or anything like that. What has happened has happened. I've sort of, I've taken like a step back out of like thinking about what's going on in the world and stuff like that. You know, it's it's happened. I'm just trying to get on with my own life now. Yeah, you've done enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, like thinking about the enemy or well, so-called enemy, you know, it it don't. I don't. If that yeah. makes sense, it's yeah. I mean that that was part of my life. It was a massive part of my life. It was probably the best part of my life, and it's over. But I wouldn't change it. <laughs> okay. Well, I would. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I would, if, if I got told, um, you know what I mean. 10, like, say, 15 years ago, if you join the army, you're probably going to get blown up. Do you still want to join? Yes, I did, because it was, like, the best experience. It's... Yeah. Fair enough, man. Yeah? No, that's, um, that's a fucking good answer, actually. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, mate, there's nothing... No, yeah. um, 
no no like, uh, the whole point of this is to document you yeah and you see it um there's no right or wrong answer to that do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. your answer is the is the right answer um so andy uh i think we've come to a natural sort of closing point there um just again thank you very much for your time no uh, no no problem thank you ever so much man it's good no to worries get inside out uh, yeah and i'd like to do this again um i'm sure you know i'd like to think once we've got this project up and running we can um we'll be able to do this some more maybe go into some more detail on certain aspects i mean we can i'm sure that will come around yeah yeah no uh, I'm, I'm here mate let me know mate and i'm there cool well thank you everybody for listening and we'll just call this the end